So welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by a brand new group of fantastic professionals. And today we're talking about introverts and extroverts. Most of us in our lives and careers have considered what personality type we are. You might be a self-identifying type A personality, which I know many of my guests today might be. In many workplaces, you might even have undergone a personality test. So leadership can get a greater idea of individual strengths and weaknesses. And one factor that's at the core of many personality assessments is whether you are introverted or extroverted. But the extrovert versus introvert question is pretty complex. It's about way more than if you're quiet or chatty. And since understanding introversion versus extroversion can help you understand yourself and others better, we thought it was a really interesting topic to dive into here on Blended. So welcome to Jennifer, Eloise, and Kathy, who are going to share their thoughts on all of this with us today. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Thank, Thank you, you for having, having us. us. All right, so let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? So Jennifer, we're going to start with you. All right. I'm Jennifer White. Um, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina with my husband, and I am a Black woman. Um, I'm an engineer by trade and owner of the MJW Group, which is a boutique management consulting firm. We focus on performance improvement and leadership development. Awesome. I love that. And thank you so much for being here and sharing your perspectives. Eloise. I am Eloise. I'm a white trans woman who lives part-time in Oakland, California and part-time in Henderson, Nevada. I am a consultant for uh, Carney formerly A.T. Kearney, and I am I specialize in the procurement and supply chain world, in fact, specifically the digital supply chain and procurement world, and I am a author and public speaker, which will come into this conversation, I suspect, quite a bit. I think it will. And this isn't the first time you're going to see Eloise because I roped her into doing one more episode with us, <laughs> which I'm based on topics that, you know, you decided on, but super excited to hear your perspectives on both. So uh, last but not least, Kathy. Yes. Hello, everyone. Um, Eloise, I'm jealous. I wish I was an author. It's one of those things that I'm like, I wish I could write a book, but I've been saying that to myself for 55 years, so I'm not sure that's actually going to happen. Um, but I am a white woman. I live in the D.C. metro area um, after a long time of living in the Midwest. I'm a mom of two adult children and two dachshunds. Uh, I've been married for 31 years. <laughs> long, long time. Um, yeah, I'm a former lawyer, and I'm now doing women's leadership for the American Bankers Association, which is an outward-facing role. So I support banks and bankers who are trying to equitably advance women, which is just I'm so excited to be in this role. Uh, my pronouns are she and her, and I'm an introvert. Wow. All right. I love that. And I think you're doing some really hard work in an industry that definitely needs it. So that is amazing. And of course, my name is Sarah Barnes Humphrey, founder and host of Let's Talk Supply Chain Blended Podcast, Blended Pledge. And I'm not actually sure whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. So I'm hoping that all of you can help me because <laughs> I don't even know what the definitions are. So let's start with what the words mean to you. What is an introvert? Eloise, do you want to start us off? 
Oh, golly, I, I'm bad <laughs> at the definitions here. Um, uh, I, it, it, um, what I would say is, to, to me, somebody that's an extrovert is, we're kind of, you know it when you see them, because they are very comfortable walking up to total strangers, sparking up conversation, that they engage in, and get activated in, in a good way when there's people around and are their life of the party. Uh, I am an introvert too. Uh, so, uh, so along with Kathy, uh, I am very happy to just be quietly nestled away with a book or with my dogs uh, or hiking alone out on the trail, not talking to people. I do everything I can <laughs> to avoid social contact. So that's kind of how it works or how I see see it. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I've also been hearing that you can be introverted but also extroverted, and that's why I think this issue is a little bit complex, which I think we'll get into that a little bit later. I am going to share the dictionary definition. So extrovert, an outgoing, overtly expressive person, and then an introvert is a shy, reticent person. I'm an introvert and I don't like public speaking, but I also don't think that we all fall into those buckets. So Jennifer, what do you think? What's an introvert? What's an extrovert? Um, I don't think I identified myself, but I'm definitely an extroverted introvert. <laughs> if that helps. Can you please tell me what that is? Because <laughs> I still need to define myself. I turn it on and off. Um, as a business owner, I definitely have to be extroverted because I have to walk up to people, random people that I may not know, like Eloise is saying, especially in mixed company, mixed parties, you know, conferences and say, hi, I'm Jennifer. I do X, Y, Z. What do you do? Um, so I definitely have a handle on that, but I can turn it on and off. And there are other days where I'm completely introverted. I will crawl on the couch and just leave me alone. What's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. I just value my thoughts today. And I just want to focus on that. How interesting is that? Because literally we're talking about labels. Like somebody came up with the word introvert and extrovert and they're labels, right? But what Jennifer is talking about is how we can be different from day to day and that we don't have to put ourselves in one box or the other. And I think sometimes we get like too crazy about fitting ourselves into a box or fitting ourselves into a label. And I think slowly now we're coming out of that where we can be a little bit more open-minded to the fact that, no, I don't need to be the label 100% of the time. I can be it one day and then something the next. Kathy, what do you think? Well, I'm going to take issue with Webster's. Um, okay, let's I do it. <laughs> okay, you heard it here on the on the uh, blended podcast. But I don't think introverts are necessarily shy. Um, I'm an introvert, and I don't really hold back talking to people. I enjoy really sort of a deep conversation with someone, uh, especially in smaller settings. But at a party, that's where that's where I am just not. Uh, I don't do well. There's too much stimulation. Um, there are too many people. It's too loud. Too many things happening. Uh, music. I don't like the loud music. Um, I don't. I don't like it when I have to talk loud so that people can hear me over the top of music. All of that really wears me out. And so I think that an extrovert in that setting, they sort of gain energy. They're really energized by all of that, and that's where they're the. I think Eloise said the life of the party. Whereas for me, I'm just kind of quiet and I get smaller. And maybe like Jennifer, I can do it for a while because 
I have to because of my job or some other reason, but I'm not going to be able to pull that off for an extended period of time because I'm going to have to go back and rest. Interesting. I think I'm going to have to look at the history of who came up with these words because I don't even honestly, we're only five minutes into this thing and I don't even think they really play a role anymore because you can be both. And I guess maybe we'll get into that a little bit, a little bit later. But I was at a conference um, last week and I was talking to a couple of people and they were like, yeah, you know, I can be in a social setting and, you know, really, really enjoying it. But you know, nine o'clock is my bedtime and I don't care who's around. I am like, peace out. I'm going to bed. <laughs> so yeah, introverted I can appreciate like that. Hours. <laughs> or extroverted for two hours and then introvert. <laughs> that's that's yeah, about that's my limit, two hours. And I'm yeah. like done, maybe three if I really have to do it. But um, Jennifer, what about you? Do you have like kind of a deadline or a timeline of how long you can pull <laughs> off the extroversion? definitely two to three hours max uh-huh I, I'm like the energizer bunny like I have to be wound back up after that <laughs> yes well and for me you know when I go to conferences and things like that I think it's the same with Eloise as well we talked to a lot of people right like last week I did 30 plus interviews in two days and you got to have the energy for that and so in my mind in some instances I'm an extrovert because I can get through those interviews. I'm talking to 30 different people. You know, I'm energized by the conversations, by the content that we're creating, by the impact that we're making. But then by the end of the day, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. I need my bed. I just want to watch some TV. (laughs) I am done. So does that mean I'm an extrovert introvert? And then I guess my question for you, Eloise, is you're on stage a lot. How do you take that being an introvert and turn that into, you know, public speaking and putting yourself out there. Cause that's really hard. Yeah. And I think this is where the definition back to Kathy's point has a little bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's funny. Like you all describe me two to three hours. That's like awful for me. Like I can't <laughs> even do that. Like, uh, I, but I will do as Kathy said, one-on-one, like I'm happy to do one-on-one even you know, two or three people, but it, it's miserable for me. Like I can't go two or three hours even. But that said, I am a public speaker. I do 30 events a year and that, that number will probably increase. And I love it. I absolutely love it. But there's a difference because, and, and, and it, it's exhausting. But what's, what I think is different is uh, there is, it's a situation that I control. When I walk out on stage, I know what I'm going to say. I'm it's in a context or even when I do workshops, because I'll do four hour workshops, uh, up to four hours of workshops, but it's because I'm leading, uh, you know, I'm leading the audience. I'm taking people on a journey. So while it's exhausting, I, I am energized by it, but I also, it's also one directional. And so I don't have to, I don't have to make small talk. I don't have to. So that that's where it gets. I'm happy to answer questions, but it real. I struggle when I walk into a room and it's just overwhelming with people. And so, yeah, that. So to me, public speaking is actually a whole different subset of this because I'm I'm perfect. I I could go stand up. I could just go walk out the door and talk in front of five thousand people, no problem. I I you know I enjoy that. Huh. You and know, see, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, Eloise, I think you've really hit something on that small talk issue. Um, I really dislike small talk. I don't get the point of it. Um, I don't know how to do it. Um, it really wears me out. It intimidates me, et cetera, which is why I think one of the major reasons I don't like parties. Um, and then when you think about it in the workplace, I also don't like being in those meetings where it's expected for people to talk regardless of whether or not they have anything substantive to say. So I'm one of these people in a meeting and I'm fine to speak up if I have something to add or a new perspective. Hmm. But these people who just sort of stand up and sort of repeat things over and over, I'm like, this is just, this is kind of exhausting me. It's it's like gamesmanship um, as opposed to collaboration and really moving things forward. And as an introvert, I I have a, it's I have difficulty with that. I think you're right, Kathy. Um, everything is a game. There's a book called The Game of Life, and I read it a couple of years ago. Until then, I never thought about like everything is literally a game that we play every single day. And sure, yeah, maybe you're not the most team player-ish in those instances where okay, it's expected of you to say something like, "Oh, how's the weather? Where's the weather?" like where you are today or you know just that small talk I agree I don't I don't like it either I'm I want to get direct to the point so I can move on and do other things so I I laughed at your your small talk um and saying that you're not good at it because I think a lot of people and I wasn't laughing at you I was laughing at the situation because I I think a lot of people do struggle with it you know, and and I think it's expected culturally, which we've designed for ourselves. I need to know the history of that one too. <laughs> like, who made that a thing? But uh, nobody yeah. does it anymore. I think that's the issue. Like, mm. most of the time, we don't even half know our neighbors anymore. It's yeah. not like when yeah. we were growing up, like you knew everything about your neighbors. And now I think that's where, because of technology, that's why the small talk is gone. It's like, literally when you text somebody, you're not going to text all of that. You'll be like, Hey, I need this. Or, Hey, what's up? Like, da, 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 da. Um, we don't do it anymore. So we just, I think we used to, and now we just totally obliterated it because of technology. That is well, really, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say that's a really interesting perspective, and I think it's a generational perspective, one that I would not have thought about. Um, but as you're talking, Jennifer, I'm thinking about my kids, and you're right. These, you know, I sometimes look at their text messages, and they're just boom, straight to the point. Um, you know, sometimes they're nouns, sometimes just verbs, um, sometimes an emoji, no small type. Acronym. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have yeah. to decipher that. I mean, talk about small talk in a, so, such an awkward way. <laughs> like sometimes I look at this emoji, I'm like, I have no idea what you're trying to say. <laughs> Anyways, Eloise. <laughs> well, and yeah. And then the other thing is, is I hate repeating myself. So we had a partner meeting last year and it felt like, so I'm seeing all these people that I really wanted to connect with. And I feel like I'm telling the same story to the same, you know, to yeah. every, like I have to repeat the same story 50 times and I'm just tired telling the story and I don't want to talk about myself. <laughs> like, so it's weird. Cause I, like, I only, you know, I'm going to talk to this person for maybe five minutes and then I'm going to go to the next person. I got to tell the same story. Like I'm bored already with my own story. So it's, it's like when you come back from vacation. And you come back into the office. How was your vacation? How was your vacation? How was your vacation? 
right? Yeah. It's the same thing over and over again. And I'm sure for an introvert, if we are going to use the labels in some terms, that that's just got to be boring, like you said, exhausting, like you said. And so how do we, I don't know, I don't even know how we change that. So I guess one question that I have for you is around labels. Do we need these as labels? How do we get rid of them? Because I think that actually correlates to another question that I have for you, because at the top of this, I did mention that companies do do personality tests, right? So that you get to know yourself, so they get to know you, but really how accurate is it? And is it pigeonholing us into this culture of labels that technically really we don't need to be in anymore because we've kind of thrown labels really out the window if we're talking about diversity and, and inclusion and how we're having conversations in the workplace and things like that. So maybe the first question is, do we need personality tests when it comes to the workplace? Jennifer? No, no. And we, <laughs> we don't, do, <laughs> we don't really do them in, in our, um, on our team and our organization either, because of that reason, like you just said, you're pigeonholing someone into yeah. And and it, it's kind of it can it can backfire on you because if you label someone that way and then it turns into a behavioral performance issue, you know that person can literally pinpoint, hey, you said based on this personality test I took that I'm this way, and so then I started acting this way, and now you're you're saying I'm not doing this or acting this way, so you can run into issues like that where you're pigeonholing someone. So I don't necessarily agree with them. Now, I do agree with the ones that are like kind of abstract, more on the creative, on the creative side, right? Well, this is my right brain. Um, more on that side, um, you know, with, you know, are you a visionary type of person? Are you a cre like, do you like to create like with your hands? Do you like to do things like that? But um, I think you can really pigeonhole if you're looking at things from a logical standpoint mm -hmm. and technical standpoint, yeah. but not so much on the creative side. Well, I also worry about bias. Like we're trying to get away from bias and it's something that comes up a lot in uh, our diversity and inclusion conversations. And so are we really bringing back that bias with the personality type? I mean, at the end of the day, I think we're all just trying to get to know who we are on a daily basis. Like it's a journey. It's not a destination. Um, so what do you think about that, Eloise? Yeah, I... I... I work in a I work in a firm that is all engineers, and I have a theater and a history degree. And so, like, wait a so second, I, wait, wait, wait. Before you go on, you have a theater and a history degree, and you're an introvert. You went yeah, to theater. Well, well, so I did. I did technical theater, so backstage. Oh, stuff, so. got you. Okay. Although I should say, I now, as I've gotten older, now I do solo performance, so I do perform. Um, but that that that's a whole different story. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's like public therapy. Um, okay. So, uh, but I think that um, very much to Jennifer's point that that it can. Like if you just look like on the personality tests, because we still use a lot of them, I skew all the way off the charts on a series of things where everybody else in in my cohort just is all completely off the charts on the other side, and that doesn't predict any better success one way or the other. And and I think to your point around moving beyond labels, I think a lot of this has to be self discovery. I've learned a lot of things about myself over the years, and it, it and it's been more self discovery. I didn't need people 
to evaluate me, to tell me that. Like, I'm a terrible project manager. I am messy beyond messy. And, and that's part of what spurs my creativity and allows right. me to just kind of be off in my own world. And if you put something highly rigid and Jennifer will probably smile at this, but you know, a very rigid process and uh, way of working, like the first thing I'm gonna do is try and figure out how to avoid that and, and break that process because that's just not how my brain works. But that's because I've gotten to a point of self-discovery. And, and I think that's, I would say we, I agree, we need to move beyond these assessment tools to maybe more tools that give us, allow for self-discovery and maybe even just coaching. Yes, I think that's what we're missing in the workplace. Um, and I do have a question around that, but I want to go to Kathy first before we we move on. Um, I want to build on Eloise's comment that these tests are good for self-discovery. Totally agree with that. I think that education around how different people communicate in different ways is also important. Because I think that we make assumptions about people based upon how we communicate our world vision. Right. And we may be inaccurately assessing someone's competence or whether or not they're competent, what their leadership skills are, um, because they're communicating in a different way. And so we're interpreting it incorrectly. So I think there's some good education that needs to happen. Not that one kind of communication is better than another, just that, hey, there are different ways of communicating and you shouldn't make assumptions based upon your limited worldview. Um, and then, and then Sarah, I also wanted to comment on the labels. Um, I definitely agree we should move away from labels. And something that um, someone recently told me I wanted to share because I thought it was it was great advice. Um, it, it was when you talk about or write about people with different identities, how do you say that? And so the person described, instead of saying a disabled person, say a person living with a disability. Mm -hmm. and, and she said, the way to remember this is start with a person, a person, and then have the descriptor. So maybe in this setting, it is a person who is extroverted or communicates in an extroverted way or something like that. So I, that's something I've tried to sort of incorporate as I think and talk about um, people uh, to try to remove the labels, right? Or people first. I like that because a lot of times um, with the diversity and inclusion topics that we talk about and having these discussions, it's a, it's about humans first. I mean, we're all humans first and we swayed way to the other side for way too long. And now we're, you know, bringing it back and being able to have safe spaces and I like that you're saying that we're taking away the label and just changing the language around. And so I wonder in a, in a workplace environment where assumptions are rampant, labels are rampant, you know, um, but we need to create more safe space around conversation and communicating some of these things. How do we give grace for, for personality? Because I think if we're going to have personality tests and you're going to pigeonhole somebody and have bias about somebody, I think you also need to have safe spaces to have a conversation where somebody can say, yeah, I, I might have scored this way, but this is where I want to go into the future. And these are some of the skills that I think that I need to have to get there, regardless of what this sort of map says. And so how do we create those safe spaces and have the conversation so that people can show their personalities, strengths, 
weaknesses, you know, maybe they have reasons for labels for themselves, not somebody else deciding on that label for them, for, for them. Anybody want to comment on that, Jennifer? Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a lot of dialogue as we've been mentioning and a lot of, um, time and patience to allow these things to transgress and progress. Um, I only say that from just my dealings with uh, hiring employees. Um, and, and we all have it. When we enter new organizations, we have this baggage that we come in with that you don't necessarily realize, but the team that you're acclimating on, they see it and they realize it because you do things one way where you came from and we do things another way, like where you're headed, right? You're on this team now. So this is the way we do things at this organization. And so I think it's, um, I think it's a lot of discovery, right? Um, like Eloise was saying, because as you migrate from an organization to a different organization or just like family structure, think of when you oh, get yeah. married and you're combining like two different people with two different habits and ways of doing things like it takes time to figure that out and to merge and um to compromise so I think compromise is the word that we're looking for and with that there is there's a lot of time in between that it doesn't happen right away mm -hmm. at all it's a good point. And I wonder what communication skills we need. We we sort of touched on this a little while ago, right? Is, is, you know, the small talk that Kathy mentioned, you know, you don't like doing it. We're kind of falling out of the art of it. Um, some people just don't know how to do it um, in a way that makes them feel comfortable or things like that. So what is, you know, what are we missing from a communication standpoint where we can or that we need to implement in our workplaces or start having conversations around so that we can get away from labels and, you know, really biases? I mean, at the end of the day, Eloise? Yeah, I was going to actually sort of maybe pivot back to your question about the safe space because, and it might answer this a little bit okay. because. Uh, how do we have a space, a safe space to have these awkward and difficult conversations? And I can use my transition experience because I, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. But, but we don't like, but it's like the corporate world is supposed to be buttoned up and, you know, it's hard to have these conversations. And so, so, so yeah, I transitioned a few years ago and, and it was a sort of a, well, a big deal for me. And, and also at Carney, you know, we had to, like the firm had to real, and the firm did an amazing job supporting me. But part of it was they had to create a safe space to train the, at least the people in my orbit to, right. to allow them a, a place to ask the questions that are too hard to ask. And so it didn't put the burden on me when I came back because I went out for a few weeks and uh, around around that time. And when I came back, so while I was gone, they they had the the session and training and sort of had the had that awkward like ask the question that you really want to know and 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 like 125 people showed up for this thing and wow. it went for 90 minutes and it was only scheduled for 60 minutes and like getting people's time so people were actively engaged in this and i think it was because it was a safe space and the the and we brought in outside or carney brought in outside facilitators and so it made it better when I came back. I didn't have to answer the question. Well, wait, what pronouns or how do I refer to you in the past or the like? 
Right. And what do I do if I make a mistake? And, and of course, it turns out I was the I made the first mistake because I misgendered myself. <laughs> so, um, so like these these are things that. But, but but how do you create that space? Because there's a lot. Like we could go down the list uh, on 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 all kinds of areas. And 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 the, and really, to your question, is we have to create the safe space. Yeah, for, without judgment. Now, I'm curious. I want to, if you don't mind me asking a question about yeah. your transition. So we're talking about introvert and extrovert. We're basically talking about labels. I chose introvert versus extrovert because it's one of the the ones that people resonate with most, right? And it's talked about most. When you transitioned, do you feel like, you know, your introvert or extrovert side came out more? Did, did it change at all for you? Were you one way originally? And then when you transitioned, you know, were you more extrovert or maybe the other way around? Well, I think I, I think if you ask people, they will say that I became much more extroverted. Okay. I, I, but I think it's a proxy for I was really unhappy and really un, and miserable. And so I took a very dour approach. And actually, if you see some of my writing in my public speaking events that, that were recorded beforehand, I, I was just coming for people and I was just angry. And I was like, come on, come, come, come on, challenge. You know, I'm, I'm throwing right. down the gauntlet. But if you watch me speak now, I'm much more inspirational. I'm much more positive, optimistic. So I think that's obviously, you know, my emotional state has changed and it's changed how I interact with the world. So, so I think it, we, you, it would change. It probably seems that I'm more extroverted, but I, I think ultimately I, I, I still avoid the social situations, I, but when you see me interacting, I'm much happier. So, so it probably puts out a false extrovert vibe. Huh. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, <laughs> you know, it's, and it all comes down to being authentically you. And I think, you know, at, we're talking about labels today. And I think we can talk about the damage that can be done by labels that are put on by other people or even put on by ourselves. And if they don't resonate with you and they're not something that, you know, you actually feel as an authentic person, it makes a huge difference once you can break out of that. And so I think it, I think it's something that needs to be said in the fact that we need to be very careful of how we label people and how we talk to them um, because it can have long-term consequences and how we do it to ourselves. I mean, we do it to ourselves as well. We're our, we're our worst critic, right? But I think as other people looking in or having conversations with our colleagues on a daily basis and making judgments and assumptions and labels and biases and all that kind of stuff, there are long-term consequences. And if that person doesn't have the courage or the strength like you did, Eloise, to make the change to be their authentic self, we need to we need to recognize that and acknowledge that. Kathy, do you want to um, jump in? I don't know. Oh, we were talking about safe spaces. <laughs> See, I told you these conversations go in different directions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so safe spaces. Um, wh when I think about safe spaces, empathy is the thing that comes to mind. And here in the last couple of years, maybe the pandemic is what sort of pushed this into the forefront, but we began hearing more and more that empathetic leadership, empathy is the most important leadership trait that there is. Mm. 
Um, and so, you know, expert after expert, article after article is touching on this. I, I don't know that there are changes that are happening with the workplace as a result of it. And, and this is what I think is going on. I think that we can grow our own empathy. Um, I, I think that um, if we recognize um, I'm not as empathetic as I would like to be, and I think we can grow that. But I don't think you can teach it to somebody who isn't there, who isn't saying, yeah, I, I am at a place where I would like to grow my empathy. So so then I think about, OK, so we've got all these articles, we've got all this emphasis on we need more empathetic leaders, but we can't grow it. What are we going to do? I think the answer is we need to rethink how we're selecting our managers and our leaders, uh, whether we're talking about inside a workplace or somewhere else. Um, but I think we need to rethink how that that selection criteria and empathy needs to be really at the top of the list. And so then when you have leaders um, who are who do value empathy, I think they then uh, are in a great position to create those safe space, safe spaces for people to have these conversations. They're going to be listening. They're going to notice when there's when there's a problem. They're not going to avoid conflict. They're going to bring people together to resolve issues and resolve conflict. Um, so rethinking how we select leaders with an emphasis on empathy would be my best solution in terms of how do we create safe spaces. Can it be learned? We've got a lot of people in leadership spaces that are not empathetic. And it absolutely time to <laughs> rotate them out. I yeah. think it can be learned if you want to learn. I mean, if you're at a place where you say, I want to be more empathetic, I've actually a good friend of mine, she has her PhD in emotional intelligence. And she talks about how doing things like reading books and watching movies and um, that can help you become a more empathetic person. So I, I don't have that skill to know exactly how to do that, but I, I believe her and I think it's possible. Hmm, thank you for that, Jennifer. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think um, it it's definitely going to take longer to get those people out that don't have that skill set. Um, it's definitely something that I've been learning and growing since I've been an owner of a company um, because of my background and the experiences that I had I had to be tough as a black female engineer. Like if you can imagine all the stereotypes was telling me, no, you shouldn't be where you are. So I think um, some of the leaders, they are that way because they were presented with certain circumstances mm. and they had to figure out how to get through the wall or get over that wall. So one would probably say, I'm, I'm very tough, right? And that's because I had to grow that muscle to get to where I am now. And so to learn to, to learn to be empathetic, like I understand, but at the end of the day, like when you're in certain leadership positions, I should say leadership is different from management, right? Management is a, is a totally different ball game. They're not the same. And a lot of people like to say they're the same and they're, they're not. Management gets things done. You know, leadership is aspire, inspire, motivate, influence, you know, people to do things. That's that's my uh, summary of what that means. And so when you have people in these positions at companies, they're there to get things done. 
Mm -hmm. Right. So they may not have time for the empathy, empathy, or they may look at it. Well, we got to get this done because we have to meet these deadlines and somebody is, you know, pressuring me to, to meet these numbers and things like that. So that's why they're coming off that way. It's a fine balance. It truly, truly is. And I don't know about you, but like, (laughs) I get triggered, you know, as somebody who's running a team of like 19 people, there are moments I get triggered and I'm just like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. You can't be that person. (laughs) You know, how am I going to approach this differently? And I'm making mistakes, right? I won't do it the right the first time. I'll reassess and then figure out how I'm going to do it the next time. I think the interesting thing too, um, when it comes to what we're talking about, introvert versus extrovert, I had somebody on my team. I think she's very extroverted, would be amazing at sales. And I was like, let's try it. She tried it, didn't like it, and went back to what she was doing before because that is what she's operations oriented. She's actually more introverted than we thought. And that's what she likes to do. So I think my point to that is, yes, we need empathy as leadership, but we also need to be flexible in the fact that, again, we don't pigeonhole people. We give them the opportunity to try things and we don't consider it a failure if it doesn't work out and it just is just not something that they enjoy doing. Yeah, I agree with that. There's definitely flexibility adaptability right because now we have the different generations I think there's four generations in the workplace now and like I was alluding to earlier you can imagine how that is where you know let me disclaimer I'm going to talk about the younger generation so I don't want anybody coming for me because I know (laughs) it can be sensitive so um you know the attention span is really it's really short you know what I mean like we 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 can't have long conversations like really like I was saying earlier get to the point what do you need so I can move on with my day mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very 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 true there's actually there's a Dr. Phil episode that you should probably watch where they brought uh Gen Zers and baby boomers together in a conversational format it's actually very, very, very interesting. And I would implore mm-hmm. anybody to, to go and watch that. I um, see that every day with my kids and my parents. <laughs> and and it is fun. It. Yeah, it, I am living it. And it's fun to watch um, how they both interact and approach different things, have different values, et cetera. So mm-hmm. fun stuff. Absolutely. Um, do any of you guys have, um, you know, a story that you want to share? I know we've shared some examples at the top of this. Um, but where you maybe found yourself more extroverted than you thought or more introverted than you thought, or maybe somebody made the wrong assumption about you and uh, it needed to be corrected. Kathy? I can think of no story. (laughs) How do you like that for an answer? (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, I, I, I just, I sort of lean on my experiences in meetings really stand out for me. Uh, which which I mentioned earlier, um, you know, the the pressure to uh, speak, even though there's really nothing to say, um, you know, that's an experience that I've lived over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's not a per se a story around that, but that's certainly an experience that I think introverts view differently than extroverts. I think an extrovert probably walks away from that meeting feeling like it was really successful because, you know, they talked for 45 minutes of the 60 minutes and the rest of us are, you know, exhausted and 
um, want to go home. Um, so th those are just things that happen with too much frequency, frankly, um, in the workplace. That's such yeah, an example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to add to that because that's like a lot of my my world too on a day-to-day, -day, not when I do public speaking because we I sit in a lot of pitch meetings, a lot of client meetings, even a lot of workshops. And and it is exactly as you described, Kathy. And and I say the least in those meetings, unless uh, unless I'm. I, in fact, I won't call. I won't chime in unless uh, I am called upon, which is surprising because if, if I have a section in just let's say a two-hour meeting, let's say I have a twenty-minute section, I won't say anything outside of my twenty-minute section. But you can be sure when I get to my twenty-minute, I I grab the room and bring them into my orbit. But otherwise, I'm just sitting there listening, contemplating, thinking, not really, I'm not trying to repeat what anybody else has said. In fact, I'm probably, well, not probably, I am thinking about this meeting and like the six others and what are the commonalities in the structure of the meeting, what's not working. I'm dialed into the emotions of the people in the room. Huh. I'm I'm much more fascinated in how people are reacting and what what they're doing, the fidgeting, who's on Facebook, who's doing what. So, I I I actually almost and and or I'm just trying to learn. Like sometimes I'll just learn things because I'm just sitting there absorbing. Huh. And if you think about that, when somebody doesn't participate, or I'll use me for an example. So I'm on a board, and some board meetings I will participate more than others. And I'll leave the conversation if I haven't felt like I participated enough, that I look like a failure in everybody else's eyes, which mm. is totally something that I have to work on. I get it. But I think it's I think it's important to bring up in the fact that we got a glimpse into what you're thinking about when not participating and understanding that you're still working towards a better good for the organization and the people in the room, regardless of whether you're saying anything or not. And so that goes back to what I said before about assumptions about somebody or assumptions that we made make about ourselves. And I think that sometimes, whether we're introverted or extroverted, we do get very hard on ourselves because we could be extroverted and talk for 45 minutes of the 60-minute meeting, walk out of there and be like, oh my God, I spoke way too much, which could be the truth. But you could also be sitting there and not participate out of your 20 minutes and also think, ooh, you know, I probably didn't participate enough. There's just so much cultural nuance to it. I think, Sarah, you've hit on what I think is a bias in, in the workplace with respect to extroversion. I think that uh, the celebrate, if we're going to celebrate one, it's going to be extroversion. And, yes. you know, we're going to feel bad and feel sad for the introverts of the world. Um, and I'm not talking about, you know, me personally, I think there's just this bias that exists. Um, and I think because of that, Sarah, and I feel the same way. I, I, your comment about feeling bad that you didn't speak up enough resonates with me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we intuitively know about this bias and we're fighting against it, right? We're fighting, we're sitting there thinking, I don't really have anything to say. Am I just going to say something to sort of achieve this bias nonsense and, and get over this right. or, you know, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And so I, I really think it's, it is more challenging for introverts in the workplace for that very reason that you just touched on. And if we're going to celebrate one, we need to celebrate the other and we need to figure out how to. 
That's a very, Absolutely. very good point, Kathy. Jennifer, did you want to jump in on this one? Do you have any uh, examples? Well, I was going to say ditto to what, what you all mentioned. Um, for me, um, going from an individual contributor where I was really an introvert, but I would, you know, hold my own weight when I'm, you know, being asked of something I would speak up and and say what's on my mind um, to now being, you know, a CEO of a company, I've had to really learn how to be extroverted, even when I try to be like humble and quiet, it's, it's kind of expected of you to say something. And I'm, I'm still dealing with that. Like, I don't always have anything to say. Like, I'll ask other people, what do you think? It's not about what I think. Like, this is a team collaborative experience. And I really want the opinions and um, understand the values of everyone on the team, not just me. Like, I don't, I didn't grow a team to just look at myself all day. So, <laughs> or hear I, myself speak. <laughs> or hear myself speak. I don't want to, my brain hurts. I don't want to come up with all the ideas and everything else. <laughs> like, I need help. That's why you're here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and you bring up a really good point. I think as an introvert, um, thinking about some of the tools and things that we can get through meetings and stuff like that, or even being an entrepreneur is maybe instead of contributing a solution or an answer, maybe it's asking a question that, uh, that make other people think yes. about it and then sparks conversation. And I think sometimes we get too in our head or too caught up in the expectations that have been laid out to us. Again, history, I've got to go figure out who laid out these ex cultural expectations because we have all these societal expectations that are just now we're, we're figuring out that are just kind of a little bit crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think we can turn it around in a few different ways if we need to, you know, just by asking qu more questions, maybe. I've got one other idea. And, and again, this is not my idea. I'm repeating something that I heard someone else come up with. Um, and that is, he is an extrovert. He's in a large, you know, he's in a Fortune 500, probably Fortune 50 company. And um, he's in these meetings all the time. And he volunteers to take notes. And he does that because he feels like it's a it's a sort of a legitimate way for him to introduce his voice into the conversation. So he's over there taking his notes and he may have to ask a question. Can you clarify what did you just say or what did you mean when you said that? Huh. And it gives him sort of a reason and a point to communicate which, you know, speaks to his him being introverted. He, you know, he doesn't want to just speak for the for the fun of it, for the you know, yeah. because it's expected, he wants to have a purpose and a point to his speech and note-taking gives him that. That's such a great example. Thank you for sharing. Eloise. Yeah, I was, I think that that's a fantastic example. And I was also going to say, I'm perfectly comfortable not saying anything and just sort of going through the whole meeting, especially, and this is more idiosyncratic to me, but where I am not enjoying where the conversation's going and I will, you know, I, I basically keep a journal of the, uh, I, with, uh, you know, I'm keeping tabs or keeping score. And, and some of these things will inspire me to write an article or go into a book about like things that really irritate me. And so <laughs> I, like I tra transfer, I don't need to work it out in the meeting. I, I displace it into other avenues. 
Wow. That's such an amazing example too, especially if you're a creative type or somebody that likes writing it out and sort of battling it out in yourself to try to figure out what that actually means for you. Like, you know that it's triggering, <laughs> but why is it triggering without putting somebody on the spot? Because a lot of times in general, introvert or extrovert, you don't want to put somebody on the spot, but you do want to ask questions about it, or you're trying to figure out internally what that means for you. And I love that, but it's also scary as hell to be in a meeting with you. <laughs> Just kidding. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you don't you need have names, to be right? left brain. You totally, you totally have to be left brain. You you're <laughs> overanalyzing. Hey, Eloise, I I also wonder you you said something like um, I don't feel pressure to speak up in meetings. I when you were younger. Did you feel more pressure or have you felt that way your entire career? Mm, good question. I, I, I think that's yeah, it's a great question. I think when I was younger, I felt like I had to say something and, and elbow my way into the conversation. But it's probably been like 10 or 10, at least 10 years that I have dropped back into the background. Although I would say more recently, it's, it's more deliberate. But even early on, I would not be the first one to talk because I wanted to get a sense of how the, the the dynamics were. And I also, there was just a lot of things I didn't know. People would be talking, you know, they'd be throwing terms out there and I didn't know what they were. So I'd just be like, just slowly writing them down and then I'd go Google them later. Because it like learning, I didn't get my MBA. So I, you know, I had, there was just all these terms. And it, when you get into each discipline, there's all these different jargon and acronyms. And I, you know, I just ultimately didn't want to sound stupid. So I would just keep my mouth shut. And, um, but, but yes, early on, I would, I'd feel more compelled to say something, even if it was huh. nonsense. And that goes to the seasons of a career. Cause when I was younger, my anxiety was through the roof. And if I got called on, I was like running out the room, like, don't call on me. I've got nothing to say. I do not want to speak up in meetings. And then it came to the fact that I needed to push myself to say things at meetings because I need to push myself out of my comfort zone and leave the anxiety behind, right? So it wasn't necessarily that I had something to contribute, but I felt like in order for me to grow as an individual, I had to say something. And so it's interesting people's journeys and how you actually um, see it as to whether you contribute or you don't contribute. This is fascinating. And Sarah, I think you've touched on a really good point in the reverse for, for the manager or whoever is leading the meeting, be aware that there are people yeah. who are introverts in the audience and they don't want to just be called on, you know, Hey, Sarah, what did you think about that point we made 10 minutes ago? And you're like, ah, um, and so if you're going to take that approach, if you're going to expect everybody, you know, to speak in the meeting, uh, tell them, tell them yeah so that they're prepared uh, with something and they're ready to go when they get called on. Absolutely. Now you do a lot of work um, you were talking about in women, I think women's leadership. And I see a lot of articles in women's media and across social media, particularly about two um, about the two like introvert versus extrovert. And they're often focused one way top tips for introverts to become more extroverted, which is kind of what we like we touched on a little bit earlier with the championing, right? We're championing one or the other. What 
is it, you know, a part of the narrative that introverts should change or why are they perceived to have lesser value? I don't, I'm a big believer that we shouldn't be encouraging anyone to change who they are. People are who they are, and we need to be more open and accepting for all kinds of people. And I think women in particular, we have been the focus of a lot of that over the years, um, that women, you need to behave in a different way because the workplace um, is, you know, was created by men. And if you're going to enter the workplace, you need to behave like a man. Mm. Um, and so um, I sort of resist that. And I, I, I talk about that a lot that we need to resist that. So I, I don't think that we should encourage extroverts to be more introverted or vice versa. Um, people do need to be aware though. I I'm going to go back to a comment I made earlier that there are different ways of communicating. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, um, it, from an organizational standpoint, providing that education to your workforce is going to create better, um, more effective teams, teams mm -hmm. that get along better, understand each other better and ultimately innovate better. Um, so I think education is key here. Eloise, I want to ask you, why do you think they covet extrovertism? I don't even know if that's a word, but why do we cover people being extroverts more than we do introverts? Why, well, is, that, they're more, why is that even a thing? They're more visible. And so you can see that it's, it's very tangible. And even, Kathy, you said it sort of at the beginning, like even if you just, these people get up there and say the same, regurgitate the same thing, like I, it's amazing how much you hear the same it's repeated I, I think you come away with well I heard this person's voice and I just keep hearing their voice over and mm -hmm. over so it it sort of creates a natural bias towards towards oh well they must know what they're talking about because they're they're loud they talked a lot and and mm -hmm. so I like the power of the introvert is uh you know it's hard to it, it's it's hard to balance that because it's just the extrovert is just so visible, you know, and of course, using these terms mm -hmm. broadly. Absolutely. Jennifer? Yeah, I was going to say, um, I think we all know this word that starts with a P that kind of trumps everything we do every day. It's called politics. <laughs> so... <laughs> He or she who's... I was a little worried about where you were going with the P word, Jennifer. I was like, which I was like, are we going to have to edit about? this out? <laughs> that P word. Um, also power, which Eloise just, just mentioned. Um, and the dominance is true. Like he who speaks the loudest, like gets heard. And so I think that's, that's what's been encouraged our whole lives. You know, even when you're little and you go to school, your parents, well, at least my parents, like if anybody does anything to you, make sure you go tell someone, go, you know, to an authoritative figure and make sure you're not just sitting there taking, taking it or, you know, getting bullied or abused. Like you have to speak up and, and say these things, which in that instance, yes, you would want some, you want to encourage someone to do that. Um, but yeah, I think in our whole society since day one, like we tend to follow someone on a pinnacle mountaintop isk um <laughs> type of structure that you know well there's they must know what they're talking about because they're the only one up there talking mm -hmm. that's so true kathy what do you think's the unspoken value of an introvert 
I'm going to go back to something Eloise said, and that is we can see what the value that the extroverts are bringing because they're talking and so we hear it. It's visible. And I think the value of what the introvert brings to the table is invisible because it's inside our heads um, until we choose to share it. Right. And so I think that um, introverts have the uncanny ability to go sit quietly and think and you're kind of looking at them like are you doing anything? And the answer is, yeah, right. We're working really hard thinking and that's where creativity and new ideas and insight comes from. And then, and then of course, the next step is what are you going to do with that? Um, How are you going to get that out of your head and make change in the world? Um, Eloise has written a book um, and, and does a lot of public speaking. Jennifer has started an organization. And so, Uh, I'm sure there was lots of really quiet time involved before they did any of those things. And then that's how they sort of introduce themselves or their ideas to the world. Um, And I think introverts are really good at that. Well said. Eloise, how do we, how do we be a colleague or how do we manage introverts? Well, Uh, what would you say? I'm I'm not sure, but actually, let me just build on something Kathy said sure. because there and and your previous question because maybe I'll get there. But uh, so I do this interesting trick at because we you know as a partner we have a lot like I'm expected to be at a lot of big events with all you know partner meetings, regional practice meetings, and and I'm very visible. And so I have this I cultivated this technique of being present without being seen and so if there's so it's it's really and it it, it, but this gets to what's the value of an introvert so everybody if everybody is in the big conference or the big conference room i do this a little bit at conference too but if everybody's in the big ballroom i'm on the outside of the ballroom just sitting there and and there's always a handful of people sitting on the outside so that means I'm seeing people walking in, people walking out, and then, and so I'm I'm present, I'm accounted for, and I'm visible, but I'm actually not, uh, not not having to do a lot of small talk. And I think to to Kathy's point about like what's the power of an introvert? Over time, over the course of the meeting, the, I become like those of us sitting on the outside. I I don't know why the others are sitting on the outside, but become a center of gravity. And so there is something about saying nothing but or saying very little, but concentrating that power, which is probably more impactful than the, you know, like the 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 din of the whole crowd. So um, I forgot the question, but I did want to sort of say that that you can be visible and present, but without actually being in the in the mix. I love that you shared that example. I learned a long time ago that if I was going to be speaking on stage or doing stuff at the conference, being active in a variety of different ways, I could not sit in sessions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you're right. I sit on the outside. I do my content on the outside. You know, I'm very conscious of my energy. And that's something that we haven't really talked about today in this conversation is conserving energy and introverts and extroverts actually expand energy in very, very different ways, right? Introverts might expand it from, um, you know, a mental standpoint, extroverts, maybe from a, from a physical and mental standpoint. I mean, I'm not a 
doctor. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just sort of putting it out there. But it's also about protecting energy, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert. We actually kind of skirted around that uh, the that issue all conversation, really. No, it's, yeah. a, it's a very valid point, Sarah. Um, I would say for me, I've learned to... I've learned how to read energy from people. Um, mm. Probably not in the best way, um, but I, I could definitely, I definitely feel a vibe. And there's like, there's frequencies that happen, right? If you're on the same wavelength with someone, you you just vibe to where you don't realize the small talk is happening, you know? Mm -hmm. Or someone you haven't seen for years and you guys just see each other like randomly and it's like you just picked up like it was yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's the good flow of energy that we want to feel. But then there's people that we interact with and we talk with that we're like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. if they don't get out of my face right now. <laughs> I am <laughs> I haven't had you know, a So yeah, <laughs> you guys understand what I'm saying. Like there you yeah. we all feel it as human beings on this earth. Like we can tell, like, oh my gosh, this person has very good energy. I really value their time. You're you're very appreciative of that person, kind of like how we are here today. Like I can tell there's very good energy. We're here for the right reason. You even started by saying. Um, the the folks who show up are meant to be here, right? So I really do believe in the law of attraction, and and I I get that sense of us talking here today. But then there's the, those that have the energy that drains us, and we just we have to get away from them as quickly as possible for our own sake. Yeah, and I think it differs whether you're an introvert or an extrovert as to how that appears for you. And also for us as people, we're all unique, whether we're introverts or extroverts and how we protect our energy and what drains us and what doesn't and things like that. And I think part of that is protecting or being okay with whatever it looks like for ourselves. You know, Eloise sitting on the outside, me not being able, knowing that I can't go I can't perform at 100% if I'm in a session for three hours or a couple of sessions for three hours. And, you know, picking up on those nuances and really better understanding yourself, which is what we were talking about earlier. <laughs> so how do we, um, how do we as colleagues, managers, leaders, which was the question that I had asked um, Eloise initially, how do we manage introverts or extroverts better? Or how are we better colleagues? How do we how do we do that in the workplace, Kathy? Um, so uh, education is one. We've talked a little bit about we need to educate people that we communicate differently. And I think that coming up with strategies on how we're going to run our meetings is also important mm. um, because we spend a lot of time in meetings, uh, at least within a lot of professions and a lot of organizations, certainly not everyone, but <clears throat> I think that my guess is that an extrovert probably gains energy by sitting through those meetings and an introvert uh, loses energy because there's people, there's talking, there's stuff. Um, and, um, and so I think making sure that everybody on the team has a good balance and has time for quiet reflection is important. You know, Microsoft um, on Outlook has come up with this. It'll ask me, uh, do you want some focus time scheduled um, on your calendar? And yes, initially, five times a day. Exactly. Initially, I was like, I don't know what that is. I don't need that. And then I realized 
I do need that. And so I regularly schedule and and my com- calendar just does it for me, focus time so that I build in time that I am by myself. I have control over what I'm going to do. Um, and that really helps me perform. That's great. And that's actually a management tip, I think, for introverts, um, because you're a self-professed introvert, is that when you're I listening am. to this right? When you're listening to this, that is something that managers should be considering and making sure that the people on their team know that it's a tool available to them if they're using it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd build, let me build on that. Um, so I, I actually, so my calendar, much to my colleague's chagrin is I have blocks just all the way through, which also serve to in case something comes up or a client last minute, I can move things around. So I have giant chunks of my day each day. And Thursdays, I block out altogether, mm-hmm. uh, either to do things like this or to just write and just to have time to reflect, which, again, drives my colleagues cr- crazy. But um, it's what I need to succeed. And I think, Sarah, to your question of how, how to deal with it, I think visibility is key in talking about this issue. I loved when I saw that this podcast was, I think I was like, oh my God, I love this one because we have to talk about this. We have to understand this. And, and I, I almost always drop that I'm an introvert, uh, certainly, uh, when I'm talking to people one-on-one and so, and, but I will infrequently or fairly frequently in presentations talk about that, uh, so that people see that, oh my God, this what seemingly extroverted person is actually an introvert and likes to go just sit in a corner in the dark. So I I think the talking about it and bringing visibility to the issue is important. And I think speaking up about what you need to be able to perform at your hundred percent and yours is taking out Thursdays. Mine is taking out Fridays. (laughs) Um, Although those kind of backfire sometimes. So sometimes I switch it to Wednesdays. (laughs) Totally. Sometimes I switch it to Wednesdays, but really knowing your limit, but also being able to speak about those things, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert and the management and the leadership being able to receive it and coming up with a solution that works for everybody instead of saying, no, it has to be done this way. And you need to open up your calendar on Thursday and you're going, well, you know, and nobody saw that because it's audio, but you know what I'm saying, Jennifer. Yeah, I was going to say there's a catch 22 to this, right? Because we can offer smaller, you know, environments to speak in and have an open door policy, which I think most orgs have that nowadays. But what if that person doesn't take advantage of that? Like, where else can you meet them in the middle? Um, I remember um, when I was working for an, an organization, my manager would have a touch bases with us throughout the month and we could choose whatever we wanted to do. And so one time I was like, let's walk across the street. Um, it was like a shopping plaza next door and we went and got ice cream. And then when we came back, everybody was like, oh my God, that's not fair. And I was like, well, <laughs> he said we could choose whatever environment we wanted to. So <laughs> I wanted ice cream at two o'clock in the middle of the day. So I think we have to get a little creative, right? Because even though you say like, there's an open door policy, you can ping me on Slack or Teams, you know, whenever you need something, if I'm not busy, I'll respond. You know, sometimes people still don't take that first step either. That is very true. So in the encouragement from leadership um, and actually encouraging, or maybe even putting themselves out there to, um, 
you know, bring that person maybe along potentially. I think managing an extrovert, if we flip the coin a little bit, is also being able to let them know when they've spoken too much or, <laughs> you know, whether to reel it back in and things like that. That was something that came up in my research. I think there has to be clear boundaries, no matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Um, and also being mindful that extroverts don't dominate those meetings, which is what I just said. Um, leadership needs to encourage listening and create those safe spaces, like you said, um, but also make sure that extroverts are listening, right, and harnessing their energy. Because a lot of times with extroverts, they'll expand all sorts of energy and then they don't they don't have the energy to do anything else. And so managing those energy levels, not necessarily the leader, but encouraging the person who is the ex extrovert to learn a little bit more of, of how to control that. All right, so we are down to the end and we usually leave everybody with one piece of something, one piece of advice, one takeaway that the audience can think about, maybe put into action, take away from the conversation that we've had today. So Jennifer, I'm going to start with you. What would that one thing be? Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, find the person that you vibe with. Like have conversations with that person because maybe it doesn't, it's not going to work out if you, you know, have a mismatch with someone else and you feel like you're not being heard or no one's listening, or the approach or the environment isn't right for you. So keep going until you find that person that is compatible, and you guys are open to having that, those conversations, um, you know, going forward. That would be my, my best tip. I love that. Kathy? My tip is protect your energy. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna borrow Jennifer's idea. Go get some ice cream if that is going to help you. Take a break. If you're at a conference, sneak back to your room for an hour or two, but do what you need to protect your energy because you're not going to be on. You're not going to be successful and impactful if you're tired and drained. So protect your energy. Thank you for that. Eloise, last but absolutely not least. <laughs> um, know yourself and be kind to yourself. Again, as I said earlier, no, finally figuring out that it's okay to be an introvert and it's okay to not say anything in a meeting and it is it was a big deal and and the person that that I like to talk to the most is myself and so um, that's okay and and it, and it's funny because Sarah you talked about this a few times and it's worth just pointing out that we are our own biggest critic and. And, and I'm sure there's going to be another episode about imposter syndrome, but, you know, even I get up every day and I still struggle with that. And yes. I just wrote 300 pages and I, I, I think it's all trash. And so mm -hmm. like, and it's because I'm my own critic. So like a lot of this is just coming to self-care and, and understanding that it's, it's okay. Like the choices you make are okay. You are okay. And the more you know about yourself and accept yourself for, for you, who you are, your the positive traits and the negative traits is, is then, then it gives you a, or it has given me a sense of confidence that I don't need to worry about what the extroverts are doing. Mm -hmm. I'm perfectly happy in my own little world. Absolutely. I think for me, it would be drop the labels if we can. 
Yeah. You know, and just be grateful or have grace for somebody and and who they are as a person and create those safe spaces, have these conversations. Because like Eloise said, we definitely need to have these conversations. And honestly, this conversation has been full of insights, value, examples. You've really all left it all out on the table. And it takes courage and bravery to do that. And so I thank each and every one of you for doing that. And I mean, while everyone is different, working on understanding the differences between introverted and extroverted tendencies can be a helpful tool when it comes to better understanding yourself and others around you. But equally, it's okay not to be a fan of strict labels. You don't have to identify solely as an introvert or an extrovert. Like so many areas that make up our identities, it's a spectrum and it's okay to be somewhere in the middle. The most important thing that I say so often on Blended is that we all give each other the grace we need to live our lives authentically without fear or judgment. Remember, you can reach out to me or any of the guests on social media if you have anything you'd like to add to what we've talked about today. And remember to join us again next time for episode 33 of Blended when we'll be diving into more thought-provoking issues around diversity, inclusion, and equity. You do not want to, oh my goodness. You do not want to miss it. I'll see you then. <laughs> Even I mess up. Thank you guys so much. Um, I'm I'm going to thank you uh, again before we turn off the recording. Kathy, Jennifer, Eloise, Honestly, the bravery, the courage, and the authenticity that you've shown us today in this episode is amazing. And I appreciate you all for joining me today. Thank well, you. Thank you so much for having me. And I loved Eloise and Jennifer talking to you. So thanks. Yeah, no, I loved all, all talking to all. This was really energizing. So. Absolutely. Thank you.